0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Drink and Learn podcast. I am drinks historian Elizabeth Pierce.
1: And I am bartender Abigail Gullo, coming to you from sunny, sort of Seattle. How unusual. Um, right? It's unusual? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, we get lots of sun here. I I find it's like four seasons in one day. It could start out gloomy and then get sunny. It could start out sunny and then get gloomy. Just like New Orleans, the weather patterns kind of move quickly here because we are surrounded by mountains and large bodies of water. I mean, you don't have mountains, but you have large bodies of water.
0: Yeah. Lee made an observation. He's like, Do you know you start every podcast talking about the weather? And oh my gosh, and he's totally right. I mean, I guess it could be worse. We could talk we could be like old people and talk about our health. You know, yeah, my bursitis right. is acting up. Or- <laughs> okay, so no, all right, enough with the weather. Enough with the weather. So for those of you that um, have been keeping score at home, uh, we are long overdue for a an episode because we already recorded this episode and there were technical difficulties. So now oh, we're going to do dear. it again, but it'll be even yes. better. And even better. Um, today we're talking about Rum all of it. Mm, and um <laughs> and I'm not drinking any because oh, I after am. we record I have to oh good. <laughs> Glad to <laughs> one of us is holding up our side. Uh, <laughs> making the side proud, I think is the is that what the Brits say about their their yes. teams. It's not a team, it's a side. Yeah. Um and uh it's going to only be one um one episode we've we've done two for um, the other spirits but it's because i have a couple of really cool interviews set up with two rum dudes i don't know if they would want to be called that but sure um Wayne Curtis and Jeff uh, the Beach Bumberry are both going to be
1: talking to me pretty soon these are two of the foremost um, authorities on rum and two of the most interesting gentlemen as well who have so much to say and such an interesting way to say it and have tons of, of research and and literary proudness on their side. I'm really, you, you guys are in for it. This is going to be amazing. And we're so lucky that one of us now lives in a city where both these gentlemen reside.
0: Yeah. Well, we both did. And um mm-hmm. I'm sure, and I bet they miss you. I'll be sure and I ask miss them. I miss them terribly. <laughs>
1: uh, Jeff Mumberry is my dog's um, godfather. So um, if you hear them, they're probably just, they heard mention of their godfather and uh, and they want to say hi too, if you hear them in the background. Next time I see him, I'll be, I'll be sure and kiss his
0: hand <laughs> and, uh, and ask for a favor. Oh, but I have, to, I have to wait until his daughter gets married. Wait, he doesn't have a daughter. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have to wait till Ronnie's quinceanera. He'll be presiding over Ronnie and Bandit's quinceanera in a few years. Okay, so. I look forward to that. Um, yeah.
0: So, before we start talking about uh, a little bit of how rum came to be, um, I think it's it's uh, worth explaining to our listeners about the different types of sugarcane. Expressions. Isn't that mm-hmm. a nice spirit industry term? Y'all use yeah, that? Yeah, right? I've, I've expressions. seen expressions.
1: In a lot of rum lists now, I see people spelling rum the two different ways. There's R U M, but there's also R H U M, which is kind of a mm-hmm. French way of spelling it, but also sort of denotes a different type of cane spirit. And of course, we have other cane spirits um, that exist, such as cachaça as well, but I've also now seen lists now say just cane spirits, and I think that's a great way to, to to use it because there are cane spirits all over the world. Sugar cane is a crop, a grass, a type of grass, actually, that grows very well in many, many um, tropical places. So you have um, cane spirits in, in India and in Africa and Japan, and of course, um, what... What we're mostly going to be talking about today is the colonialization of the new world and how rum is connected to that because that is, and the Caribbean is and South and Central America are the largest producers of rum in the world. And from that lens of colonization, we can see the different styles of rum. When I'm trying to describe the different flavors of rum in a staff training, I will often say... Um, look at the island that it comes from, and look at who ruled that island, who colonized that island, because that's where you're going to get the flavors from. Although
0: occasionally that doesn't work if there were multi colonizers.
1: Oh, that's if it very was true. the Dutch,
0: then the Portuguese, then the Spanish, then the British. But eventually they'll they'll settle on one, right? On on yes. one um, main and influencer, one which will then mm-hmm. uh, decide on the style. Yeah. So um so what are these styles?
1: Yeah, not only are there the different styles based on on that, but then of course there's the base product and how it's made. Now, most rum that we're talking about is made distilled from molasses, which was a sugar byproduct. When you were making sugar, the molasses would be left over and you would have so much molasses, they didn't know what to do with it. They used it in various forms, which I'm sure you know a lot about, but they also uh decided to distill it and that became rum. Now there were some countries that didn't need sugar. Think the French already had so many properties in Africa where they were growing beet sugar that they didn't think of like, think of the decadence of Marie Antoinette and all the candies and cakes and sugar she had. She didn't need this sugar product coming all the way from the Caribbean. She had a much closer source. So a lot of the sugar cane that was grown in the French properties were pressed immediately and then distilled into a rum product. And that became known as rum agricole, um, kind of a more agricultural-based rum. And you, there is a dramatic difference in the flavor and the taste of that kind of rum. So that kind of rum is more fruity. It's vegetal. It's got grassy notes. It's got beautiful terroir. It's super floral. And um, I'm actually drinking some right now. And I'm I am looking. It. I'm watching
0: mm. you drinking it. Mm. What are you
1: sipping on? I'm sipping on some um, Rum clément. It is a single varietal. It is a w- blue cane, so it only uses uh, blue cane. It's different every season, so it's almost like um, a vintage, um, just mm-hmm. like the French do wine, the French do, um, do, uh, do rum. And it is uh, just complex and gorgeous and beautiful. And I really love it, just like room temperature. I mean, they're, they're – their kind of um, drink that they make with this is called a tea punch, which is short for a petite punch. And it's really just like room temperature rum, a little bit of sugar and a, like a little twist of of lime, the tiniest little bit. Um, more like a rum old-fashioned than a daiquiri. And, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes they don't even use ice. You know, ice is a premium in the Caribbean. So I really just love, especially on a nice, beautiful day like this, sipping it outside with the grass. I mean, you're drinking a grass product. It just goes naturally. So that's rum agricole. Ag- Abigail,
0: you mentioned um, that molasses was a like a, a waste product for a while. It and, was a waste and product, and eventually, yes. um, but one of the things that people did do for a short amount of time was that the molasses would be cooked down and turned into this like sticky paste that was used as mortar to hold building materials together. And so that would be the glue that would affix, um, you know, whatever they were using leaves or twigs or something in the Caribbean to make some kind of hut. And that was fine until the rats came to eat the mortar, in which case it is totally a Hansel and Gretel gingerbread house, except with <laughs> rats as Hansel and Gretel. Instead of wayward
1: children? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but now I see, like, see a rat in like a little dirndl and a lederhosen <laughs> little hat, little Alpin mm-hmm. hat, mm-hmm. but also as the Bugs Bunny Hansel and Gretel with a blonde... Oh, yeah wig sort of chubby (laughs) rosy cheeks which doesn't really go with the caribbean i don't know anyway so that's my uh, aside of what are we gonna so eventually somebody's like this is uh surely there's a better way to use up all this molasses let's make a more let's let's make a product that um that well, I guess rats would could potentially eat rum too, but it would all
1: end poorly. Yeah, right. No, it it would end <laughs> very poorly for the rats. No, and so that's the majority of rum we're talking about. Is is this molasses byproduct rum, and and then a lot of times it was aged, and it was aged in kind of accordance to the flavors and styles of the country. So think of the big the big players you have in the Caribbean. You have um, the Spanish, of course, who are there, mm-hmm. so they're used to making things like brandy and sherry they use a solera method for their rums Um, their rums tend to be a little bit more buttery and sweet and round notes of toffee and coffee Um, these are the rums of like uh, Cuba Puerto Rico the Dominican Republic and um, Colombia Venezuela Nicaragua Mm -hmm. on the mainland too the all of these rums kind of have the Spanish style now the other big player of course in the Caribbean is the English and they are dealing with um, more bold pungent and spice notes things that you would find like in a gin Um, Mm -hmm. all those botanicals all those notes of like cinnamon and clove and pepper and uh, they're a little bit more rich Um, they have this connection to the navy and the navy strength and you're thinking of gin uh, gin, I'm sorry gin (laughs) rums from um, Jamaica, Barbados, um, St. Lucia, these are all like a little bit more dry and have that more pungent style. And uh, and that is kind of like an English style. And a lot of these descriptions that I'm reading come from this beautiful rum wheel that I'm going to put on our website. So you guys can have like a visual cue to all the different flavors and cocktails that come from these types of, um, of rum in the Caribbean. And the place
0: you can look for that is the Drink and Learn Revelers Facebook page.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Abigail will um, post that, that on, on the Drink and Learn Revelers page. I'm glad that uh, Ronnie and Bandit approve, approve of They're that. they like,
1: we love Revelers!
0: Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so um, all of these styles come about as a result of colonization. And mm-hmm. it is the, the story of rum is the story of sugar, which is the story of colonization. And Mm -hmm. all of these places um, get colonized because the new world has now been discovered, uh, has been mostly explored and discovered by the late 16, early 1700s. And so now everybody is kind of planting their stakes in um, these different places and trying to one-up on the trade wars that have been happening. People have now, well, Christopher Columbus alleges he found his way to India. He totally did not. Um, (laughs) He found us, Uh, even though people were already here. So that's the other whole thing about colonization is, you know, it's like, we discovered you. Well, not actually. I mean, you, uh, you discovered us. Because you didn't know we were here, but we've been here the whole time. And uh, sugar is not something that gr- uh, sugar cane is not something that grows particularly well in in colder climes, but everybody realizes this is like the new way to get rich. And the reason that slavery becomes such a crucial part of sugar making is that two, twofold. First of all, to keep the product really cheap, you need enslaved workers. Um, and initially, initially the colonizers are enslaving indigenous populations. But yes. unfortunately, um, many of them die off. And that is because due to, number one, terrible treatment. But number two, um, a lack of immunity to a lot of diseases that, that are brought here. And so, um, there are native populations that are are now gone because of the actions of the Europeans. Boo. Boo. The other thing that why indigenous populations don't make good enslaved people is cuz they already lived there and they are super familiar with the geographic territory. So if they want to escape, they have knowledge of, even if it's an island, they have knowledge of, like, the most difficult places to get to, and they can escape and go live there. And these are called maroon populations. And so the Spanish, the French, the British are like, hey, what if we just brought people here who didn't know this place at all and couldn't escape? And so that is how the slave trade from Africa really begins. And you're bringing uh, lots of people who don't know each other. So you have enslaved people from different parts of Africa who have no shared language. And then they are all put in this uh, completely foreign place and made to make sugar and eventually make rum. And all of this sets the scene. I'm waving my hands. I'm setting a scene Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the creation of the rum industry in America. And this episode is going to drop right before the 4th of July. Um, so it is totally relevant. And I think Lee's told me that there is something in the musical
1: 1776 about oh, rum. No, absolutely. seventeen. There? 17- There's a whole song called... Um, it the, molasses to rum, and it is probably one of the only songs ever written about the triangle trade. And it's very powerful <laughs> because it delves not only into the horrors of the slave trade, but it addresses the hypocrisy of the northern colonies by calling attention to their participation in slavery. Which, if you know of the the all of the molasses and the New England style rum they had, you know they absolutely participated in this process. So, and and. I I watch 1776, the musical, every year around the 4th of July. I really, really love it. It's really moving. It it really, it breaks my heart because there was debates in this Congress, Continental Congress, in outlawing slavery outright in this country. And the entire, and, you know, this song kind of brought up the fact that, you know, we all benefit from it. And uh, if you really want us to be powerful, you'll let it be. So they had to capitulate to the southern states. And then, of course, what followed was, you know, led uh, uh, directly to the to the Civil War and still reverberates in our nation today. So I find it very moving, very powerful and something that we should revisit every year that, you know, you cannot talk about this time period. You cannot talk about rum. You cannot talk about any of this without addressing slavery.
0: And this is a thing that I think a lot of people uh, aren't really aware of in uh, early colonial. That rum is an early colonial industry. It was mm-hmm. the third largest industry um, after timber and furs. And I, I'm mom. I'm really sorry. My mother was my fifth grade teacher, and my mom was a really awesome teacher. But in this one area, Carolyn Talley Pierce uh, dropped the ball because i learned about the molasses act but not in any context of the the colonies making Rum. All I thought was like they're eating a lot
1: of pancakes or (laughs) gingerbread too.
0: Right. Like like, so. What do you use
1: molasses for? But in fact, it's like oh, I couldn't think of. They were think they were cooking so much with molasses in colonial days. Yeah, they were they were making rum
0: and the molasses act. For those of you that were equally had an equally deficient um, American history, I guess I should have gotten it in real American history in junior high. I mean, when I was in in high school. Um, but that, that teacher was terrible. I will not call him by name. Um, so anyway, this is, uh, this is what happened. They start making rum by getting molasses from the Caribbean. And the colonists are getting the cheapest molasses available because, you know, you want to source your uh, ingredients cheaply. And the cheapest place to get it was often from the French. Well, the British... Sugar makers in Jamaica, Bermuda, they were very mad. They're like, You're British Mm-mm. colonists, you need to use our molasses. Where's your loyalty? They complained to King George, whatever number he was fifth, sixth, I don't know. I do you know, the third. George thank the you. third. Uh, so they complained to George the third, and they're like, Hey, the colonists need to use British molasses. And so then. The uh, parliament passes the Molasses Act, which predates the Stamp Act and definitely mm-hmm. predates the Boston Tea Party. Ooh, so, yeah. so it is the thing that gets everybody mad because you are hitting people in their pocketbooks. And that it, so it is not tea that started the American Revolution. It is rum. hmm
1: And indeed, I have named a cocktail after the importance, the that important moment of our revolution and rum and the Caribbean. And that is, if you are further want to read further into the history of this time period, there's a wonderful book by the uh, world renowned historian Barbara Tuckman called "The First Salute." And this is a view of the American Revolution um, that has a really beautiful narrative about the centuries-long conflict between England, France, and Holland, and how that kind of aided the American colonies' fight for independence. And the first salute is a specific moment where on November 16th, 1776, a small American warship, the Andrew Doria, sailed into the harbor of the tiny Dutch island of St. Eustatius in the West Indies. Now, At the same time this is happening, in my old neighborhood in upper Manhattan, the Hessian um, mercenaries are decimating the American armies at the Battle of Fort Washington. George Washington is fleeing across the Hudson River to Fort Lee. He is leaving behind people, including Margaret Corbin, our first female POW and first female receiver of an American uh, army pension. Uh, She's the last one firing the cannons against the Hessian army before the fort falls. So this terrible defeat is happening and it doesn't look good for the Americans at this point in the war. Only four months before the United States had declared its independence from Great Britain, and indeed, a precious copy of the Declaration of Independence is on board this ship, the Andrew Doria, that sails into this Dutch island. The American crew fired off a 13-gun salute to announce their arrival from the 13 colonies. Now... Historically, if you are recognizing a sovereign nation, you fire a cannon salute in response. Now, the Dutch governor of the island, Johannes de Graaf, was ordered by his superiors not to respond and not to get involved because they were still waiting to see how this war was going to play out and if the British were going to defeat the American insurgents. So, despite his orders, Johannes de Graaf ordered that his four cannons be fired in a friendly salute back. It was the first ever given by a foreign power to the flag of the United States. It was a very risky and courageous act. And indeed, the whole island was decimated by British forces not long after. In retaliation. In retaliation. In retaliation Mm. for that. Yeah. But it was a very important moment for the Americans because it was recognized. They were recognized by another foreign power as a sovereign nation. And as it still is today, sometimes the symbolic act of these things mean so much more and gather the momentum. I'm thinking about it today because I'm thinking about the symbolic act of pictures being shared on Facebook and really doesn't do any good. And I'm like, it has done good and has done bad in the past as well. Those symbols of to motivate your base on, you know, that these, these things need to be recognized, need to be changed. And this was a moment in American history where we might not be here if this didn't happen. So I did create a a cocktail named The First Salute, inspired by this very moment in American history. I hope that's a segue that you're going to tell us how you
0: make that drink.
1: Right. So this drink, The First Salute, was, um, was inspired by this moment, but it was also inspired by some of the delicious flavors that you find in some runs. So I am actually using an English style rum, but it's from an independent nation, a nation that is now independent just like us, won our independence. It's a St. Lucian rum. Um, I use Bounty Dark or I use um, Chairman's Reserve. Beautiful, complex, dry, great in cocktails. That's our rum base. It's basically a daiquiri variation. And then we're going to spice it up a little bit, literally, um, by making a little uh, mix I call Abby's mix. I wasn't being conceited here. This was just, a, this is a play on a tiki syrup called Don's Mix. I was actually reading one of Jeff Beachbumberry's books about how he discovered that the secret to Don's mix, it was probably a grapefruit juice, vanilla, and cinnamon syrup. And I said, oh, those flavors sound so good. Now, at the mm-hmm. same time, I happened to be reading Wondrich's book on punch and I wanted to make like a colonial style oleo um, oleosacrium. So I take grapefruit peels and muddle them with sugar. Let that sit for about two hours. Then um, about equal parts water, hot water to sugar. So if I've used a cup of sugar and one whole peel of a grapefruit i'll add one cup of hot water that i've just boiled on a teapot onto that and i'll throw in two sticks of cinnamon and about oh i don't know five pods of star anise my grandma used to cook with those flavors a lot so i love that kind of anisette just a little hint of it in this drink and uh and also that's anisette or um, star anise pods or something that's used in caribbean cooking a lot so again we're tying in the caribbean flavors um with a little cinnamon grapefruit. And um, we let that all sit and cool. And then you could strain out the solids. And then you have this beautiful syrup that you could refrigerate in your um, fridge and use it for mocktails, if you like, or lemonades. But for this, we're going to use about three quarters of an ounce of this syrup, and uh, one ounce of uh, fresh squeezed lime juice, and about Two ounces of rum. And then if you want to like boost up the smokiness a little bit, sometimes I add a little mezcal to that as well. So if you have some mezcal and you're looking for something to add to a recipe, this is a good one to add. So we've got all of that in a shaker with some ice. And it's a little bit of prep work, but once you get it all done, it's really just a three-ingredient daiquiri drink. So super easy. Give that a good shake to aerate it and dilute it. And I like to serve it up, if you prefer it on the rocks, of course you can, up with a little twist of a grapefruit. And that, my dear, is the first salute.
0: So I think Cheers. that that would be a very refreshing drink for somebody to make for the Fourth of July. Although beware, it sounds, I bet it goes down easy, and um, you should probably alternate it with something. Fizzy, yes, yeah, yes. something fizzy and like lemonade, yeah. But that would be a nice way to salute America's <laughs> independence while also mm-hmm. acknowledging rum's history in America. Uh, while perhaps watching, or at least having on the background, the movie Seventeen Seventy Six. Oh man, it sounds it's like so the good. kind of a uh,
1: tradition I need to start. I've never seen it, and Ugh. it's so the movie holds up. Okay, all right. Yeah. I will I will Well, I, I mean it holds that. up and that it's a bunch of white men talking about being in power, so. No,
0: you know, you know what I mean. It holds <laughs> up as in like sometimes old movies are terrible and or old musicals are are weak, I guess. But I will, I will um I will ha-
1: definitely have to rent that. And I'm surprised as a historian that you haven't seen it before because it is really very good. My dad played um John Adams, who's the lead by the way. John Adams is is the lead in mm-hmm. this. There's this great song called Sit Down, John. And whenever my um, my dad gets too too uppity, my mom will still tell him to sit down. Does she
0: sing it or does she just say it? Sometimes she does sing it, yes. Yeah, it's better if you sing it, I think. Um, the, the other thing that I think is a good takeaway for everybody is this drink, uh, the daiquiri, the, your daiquiri variation. Like a daiquiri is a really great way to try different rums. Oh, absolutely. This is something that um, I'd, I've definitely heard and perhaps you have as well, people say, oh, I don't like rum. It's too sweet. Mm. And there are so many different kinds of rums. Yeah. And frankly, I th- I think that one of the reasons people say that they don't like rum is because when they were in high school or college, they made a bad decision. And mm-hmm. that bad decision involved like a giant – Garbage can full of rum and flavor, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then they drank a lot of it, and then they <laughs> they were violently ill, uh, which is exactly what happened to me at Stephen Shane's eighteenth birthday party oh, at, Pat, no. at Pat O'Brien's, where I had two two hurricanes, uh, not, where I had two hurricanes. Not at this one. time,
1: it was legal for you to drink at eighteen.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Right yes, in in, yes. in Louisiana, in all of Louisiana. In Louisiana but um, yeah. and Abigail, it was. It was a year before I could even walk by Pat O'Brien's and smell that bar, smell the bar, not even just drink hurricane. But so it took me like I had this terrible memory of like rum. Rum is awful. But in fact, now I love rum
1: because that that's not a very good example of rum. No, (laughs) no. So the thing about rum, once we get into the 20th century, rum does have uh, a revival of sorts in the 20th century due to prohibition and um, the Caribbean being a place where people could still fly to or take a boat to and enjoy all these delicious rum drinks of the Caribbean where they couldn't do that in the States during this time. And then the influx of rum through bootlegging. In, mm-hmm. the, um, in the southern United States and the coastal areas there. So rum kind of has a resur- resurgence and then coupled that with the tiki movement, which really was kind of Caribbean style rum drinks um, with this kind of appropriation of Polynesian culture that um, was popular due to all the GIs coming back from uh, World War II. Um, all of a sudden in the 70s, we get into a very unpopular war in that region. Vietnam and Mm -hmm. people don't want to deal with it anymore. So that kills off tiki. The other thing that really kills off tiki is the rise of processed syrups and juices. You Mm -hmm. have corporations coming in here and saying, Oh, look, you're spending so much money on fresh juices. Just use our fake syrups and fake juices in its place. It'll save you money and time. And so many bars jump on this. And then all of a sudden we have terrible. You have, instead of the original Hurricane, which was a local passion fruit syrup that was made here in New Orleans, you now have a chemical powdery substance made in Pompano Beach, Florida.
0: Yeah. And it's also, I bet, the rise of the sour mix
1: too. Yeah. And not fresh lime. Not fresh limes and juices. Which is why the tiki movement, it was natural that it would come back when the uh, craft cocktail movement came back as well because as soon as we started going back to doing homemade syrups fresh squeezed juices you know then people are going to do the same with tiki and that's that's part of the rise of the modern rise of tiki so for those of you that were
0: listening to this last recipe and thinking like oh i want to make syrup that's a lot of work it it really isn't but if no. syrup if, sir- if if some kind of infused syrup seems like a lot of work if nothing else please
1: juice a lime juice a lime simple a simple syrup they call it simple for a reason it's just hot water and sugar you don't even need to turn on your stove yes <laughs>
0: it's really easy to make right right you can make it in the microwave mm-hmm. but the the lime thing right now well so sometimes limes are cheap and sometimes they're not and mm-hmm. i i believe in juicing and freezing uh freezing juice now You and I have talked about this before, and that in your, like at a bar, they're not necessarily going to do that. But like for home cocktail use, I feel like a frozen juice is okay.
1: Yeah. If you have, if you juice a whole bunch of limes, stick them in ice cube trays, you have pre measured little frozen things of lime. It's fine. Yeah. It's perfect. We have a Meyer lemon tree that
0: occasionally produces three to 400 lemons at a time. And, I can't eat that many. Well, I mean, no one can eat that many lemons all at mm-hmm. once. Uh, now there I want a lot of meringue pie. Yeah. <laughs> so, in honor of our nation's independence, here's what mm-hmm. everybody needs to do. Go get get your friends to come over and with whatever you're barbecuing, like whatever veggie burgers or totally beef hot dogs, everybody should bring a different bottle of rum. And mm-hmm. then you can make daiquiris. With all of the different
1: rums and see which ones you like. Yeah, right. You can make the slightest changement to a daiquiri as well. E- either you use, you know, if you think that um, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup and one ounce of lime juice is too sour, then change it by a quarter of an ounce. Do um, three quarters simple, three quarters lime two ounces of rum you'll immediately taste the difference it's yes. it's really it's really crazy how it works and yeah line line them up all in a row and have a tasting party and figure out what your favorite style of rum is you know is it like, spiced is it dark is it white is it dry is it from a spanish country is it from an independent country is it from a french country mm-hmm. you can figure all this out
0: Yes, yes. So declare your independence
1: by... Yeah, declare your independence and (laughs) figure out what your run is. (laughs)
0: Uh, So... um before we sign off, we have a question that we need to answer, Abigail. It was posted yes. in the Drink and Learn Revelers, and a lady had not one, not two, but three, three bottles of Anisette from her grandma. <laughs> and that's a lot of Anisette. I'm not a super yeah. big fan of Anis, um, mm-hmm. but as a liqueur, it's- what
1: are you going to do with that? I was stymied. Well- that, that flavor, that black licorice flavor is polarizing. Not everyone likes it. But there's a reason why every single culture has its own form of anisette, be it absinthe or herb saint or uzo or sambuca. Um, it has wonderful digestive properties. It helps settle your stomach after you've eaten. So um, while there are many cocktails that you could do, like you could use it in the place of like herb saint or absinthe in a... Um, uh, in a Sazerac, like rinsing the glass mm-hmm. with it, or yep. um, a Corpse Reviver, number two, a beautiful with little rinse of aniset. There is um, a Frap, which is Orgeat, which is a great tiki syrup, um, and um, lots of crushed ice, and um, uh, and, and aniset, that's beautiful. You could put Peychaud bitters on top and it turns pink. Um, you could drink it like the French do, which is put tons of water in it, like a Ricard. And it becomes like a refreshing, hot summer day drink. And the flavor gets diluted a lot. A death in the afternoon with a little- Afternoon, top. you top champagne. Yeah, put champagne on top of that and a twist of lemon. That is um, a Hemingway drink. Um, but I really think if you want to move through this quickly- I say start a tradition in your household where after a big meal, when you've all eaten together, you bring out the bottles of Anisette, go to a thrift store, get those little tiny little cordial glasses. that are so cute that you Mm -hmm. never know what to do with. You're going to get a whole bunch of those and put them out along with a bottle and tell people to help themselves. And just a little shot after your meal, um, is a, a little sweetness, um, mm-hmm. yeah, a little black licorice, but it really helps settle your stomach. So start the tradition of—it's um, uh, a very kind of European old school tradition. But start mm-hmm. a tradition of having a digestif after your meal, and um, a lot of people do amaros. But if you've got three bottles of anisette, I say start yeah, that tradition.
0: Start with the stuff that's free, and then mm-hmm. you can make your way through all the uh, all the digestives and mm-hmm. and let us know. Uh, please, if anybody does this, let us know if you're doing that and what your favorite digestives are.
1: Start a game of cards, have some coffee, and have a shot. No, well, uh, well, those
0: now that's contradictory, right? It's like after all the booze, then you have caffeine. It's like, um, my well, don't friend, you John, always have
1: coffee after a meal?
0: No, after my my friend John Newland said that this about Cafe Brulot, that you usually have it after the end of a big meal and uh, a- after the end of a big meal, where, you're, where you've had several bottles of wine and possibly even champagne, and by the time you <laughs> drink it, you're wide awake and dead drunk at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, well, you gotta I've... get
1: home somehow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, it's at your house. Well, oh. I mean, I guess you have guests, mm. but that's what Lyft is yeah. for. Lift and Uber. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We really love when people ask us questions, and you can do so on the Drink and Learn Revelers page. You can also message us on Instagram. I'm at Drink and Learn, and in all the places, Um, you can even send us an email cheers at drinkandlearn.com.
1: Please join our revelers page as yes. well. I love seeing people post bottles and cocktails that they've been working on on our uh, Facebook Revelers Drink and Learn Revelers page. It's awesome. It's a, really brightens my day when I see people add to that page. It's been very inspiring to see that we have mm-hmm. inspired people to
0: like to be brave and and try to you know make a thing they've never made before. Um, so mm-hmm. you can follow Drink and Learn all of those places and Abigail.
1: I'm uh, Abigail Gullo, G-U-L-L-O, M-A-B-I-G-A-I-L at on Instagram and at NYC Baby on Twitter.
0: And uh, everybody who's listening right now, when you are done and you've pressed stop or whatever it is that you're pressing in your app, please go immediately to the iTunes page and rate and review us. It's uh, it helps people find us and keeps us um, circulating high enough so that. People who are who want to learn more about drinking can do so. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that that wraps up rum. It's really just a taste of rum, but there is more to come for sure.
1: There's so much. Go out and explore it and, um, and tell us what you think. For sure.
0: Um, all right, everybody. Uh, thanks again. And cheers, y'all. Cheers, y'all.